So this week was about distilling. I thought this was the, one of the more interesting slides because I think Tiago just likes the cooking metaphors. Last week, he also used the cooking metaphor. Basically, your notes should be about getting the best ingredients for you to cook with when your, the time comes to eventually produce. And it's not so much about how you rearrange your kitchen. Uh, it's not so much about the hierarchy of the notes. It's just about getting the best quality ingredients each time and like just really nailing the quality of the ingredient. So that's the way that I interpret uh, his emphasis on note first knowledge management. So he also had this really interesting duality. Let me turn off my Discord because Discord is really distracting right now. Give me one second. I have this beeping in the background, which I always have tuned out, but I know it's distracting on Zoom. Okay, so most people's notes are like this, but our notes are going to be like this. And <laughs> the difference is the gradients, right? In, in understanding like where we are pretty shallow on and where we're pretty deep on, if you subvert the mountain metaphor, in terms of the amount of work that we've done and being able to see in a single glance, like the highs and the lows, stepping away from an undifferentiated mass of just random notes towards putting different degrees of work based on how, how often we use them, how well we use them. So that's kind of how I pitch the importance of this progressive summarization approach. He used to actually have a much uglier chart than this <laughs> in previous cohorts, but I like this metaphor. Okay, this is an example that I thought was really helpful. The perfect note taking that he exemplifies where we really use some structure. Seven habits is it easily breaks yourself down. Bolding high and, and just a, spare, a really light sprinkle of highlighting. The key is to be able to zoom in and out while preserving the same context of the note, which you were connected to. Okay, he gave. He also gave four guidelines. I, didn't, I don't think I did a very good job with these slides. I just took some screenshots. I don't know. So the first one is use resonance. So literally notes are very personal. I think every one of us should be able to look at the same document and come away with different notes because it really just matters what resonates with you, not about trying to produce some objective right answer of what it means. The second one is to really be very sparing in terms of how we how much we highlight to keep it glanceable, as they say. Really, I, I think I, I liked his metric of being able to grasp what you summarized in 30 seconds. I think that's a really nice hard limit. And there's only so much you can fit in 30 seconds because that's how you make your notes consumable in the future. Like that, it, it, your notes are only as useful as they are consumable in the future. Guideline number three is spending as, only as much attention as, as needed. So your notes don't have to be the same length or same level of detail every single time. You can come back and expand upon it if you need to. And sometimes if it's just like a one-off, a couple sentences here, that's okay too. And then the last guideline is that you should distill when you have a use in mind. So sometimes if you don't even have a use case, you can just leave the notes in raw capture form like this without all the without all the bolding and highlighting. And that's totally fine. And when you have a use case, it's much better to have a purpose. That's what the projects in the areas are for. And to me, a lot of that use case is just blogging. Like how will this show up in a future blog post that I need to do or talk? Okay. We also finally talked about the convergence and divergence process. Divergence is something that we're all trained to do very well because we, we love exploring ideas and there's an infinite number of different interesting ideas. But convergence is what we essentially get paid to do or the, it's the final output that people actually see. So we need to practice this more. The way I also think about it is that this line between divergence and convergence is movable. And a lot of us, for a lot of us, the divergence line is all the way up here. And sometimes it's beyond the delivery point to the point that we never ship. 
So we need to move it back. We need to move this divergence convergence line back all the way towards something closer here so that we just force ourselves to produce more. I think that's something that motivates a lot of people. Okay. I also like this table because it compares and contrasts attitude, focus, approach, principles. It's really weird because you have to be the same person, but <laughs> these qualities are super different and you have to do that switch and almost inhabit a different personality when you approach convergence. And that's what we are starting to be about today. We're going to continue this next week. But I think it's a skill that we have to train and get good at because it's so fun to diverge, but hey, we need to make converging fun as well. And I'd love to ch chat about that with you. Fun fact. So this is a diamond chart. I think uh, it's pretty famous among like knowledge management people. I, I have a friend who actually made an alternative. So he actually made a circular chart and check out this animation. I'll, I'll drop the link in the, in the chat. So it's some dots that's spinning out from the divergence point and then bouncing off of both framing and liminality, or I guess the short-term need to produce something, and then converging towards a, a single point as well. So I think his point here is that we're not just we're not just like doing that that with thing in in the diamond. We're also using we, we also get to shape what constraints we want around how we structure our whole research and production process. So I think it's a really interesting way to think about this. And I also just like the animation. I just want to offer that up to you because. It's creative. It's provocative. I don't know what it means. Thanks, Joyce. Yeah, Joyce says that is really nice. And Glenn says it's a neat animation. And I agree. He's an artist and a coder. He works like that. <clears throat> okay, let's keep going. So feature quotes, I like to pull out some of these quotes. There's a whole section in the BASB circle where you can actually drop some quotes. I highly recommend it because it helps you distill things. It helps you practice distilling. So here I'm actually taking notes from the original lectures, right? So I, I highly encourage that you do that as well. So I have four quotes. First is, it's time to start spending more of a time engaging with the substance of the knowledge that we are capturing, not organizing. I think para, ironically, is the maximum organization that you should do. I, I think Tiago is essentially very anti-organization, but you do need some. So the minimum is like literally four categories, that's it. And trust in search and the algo gods to do the rest. Second quote, at some point, you have to stop collecting new things and start compressing your ideas down into a usable form. I think the emphasis on usable is really useful for me because I think a lot of us, I'll count myself as an information hoarder or an infovore. I'll just hoard stuff. Like I might need this in the future. I don't know. That's not super helpful. And actually that creates a lot of background anxiety. And I think if we spend more time or, or just consciously biased ourselves towards compressing more, towards some form of usability. That's something that we all agree we want to do, right? It's, you can hoard up a giant database of stuff that nobody ever sees and you, can, you yourself can never use. And that's not very helpful. So let's stop doing that. The third quote, when you remove the parts that are merely good, they, they no longer dilute the parts that are truly great. So this is more like a, there's some amount of fluff in every single blog post or book or talk. And if you can remove the parts that are merely good, then you zero in a little bit more. Me personally, I struggle with this because I love the details. I love people elaborating. Once you make a point, you tell me a story, you give me an example that reinforces the original point. And you could remove all of that and just go tell me the original point, but I'm missing all that context. And sometimes that's good as well. I don't have a, I don't have a really strong opinion about this apart from I know that I have to distill things and there's a part of me that always fights it and if you have that instinct as well then you're not alone 
The final quote, most people's notes are like a dense jungle. What we're doing by distilling is revealing your personal knowledge landscape. So again, this is the visual that we had earlier where most people's notes are just an unofficial massive just stuff. And then when we have a personal knowledge, knowledge landscape, we have parts of our notes that are very highly developed and others which are just very shallow. And it's a lot clearer what, what we know well and what we don't. Okay. Those are my feature quotes. I don't know if anyone else has any. Feel free to pop it in the chat if you do. I also thought that this week's Second Brain Vault stuff was, was a pretty interesting idea. I've grabbed this from, from the screenshot. This is a pretty poor quality screenshot, I'm sorry. But I like seeing examples, right? Like we learn by looking at other people. So I highly encourage you to check out their, the Second Brain Vault if you haven't. Because this is just a wealth of information. I like that second the Second Brain course has layers itself, right? You could just do the lectures, but if you had the extra time, you could actually go further and deeper. And there's so much depth to the amount of content that's available. So I highly recommend it. Okay, so we're gonna, we're gonna pause a little bit. That's my little 10 minute uh, recap, 15 minute recap of week three's content. I was just wondering, is there anything that people wanted to ask about or discuss? <laughs> uh, hang on, someone's talking, but ah, there we go. I don't know your name. Is it Dennis? Yeah, sorry. I think I clapped my hands instead of raising my hand. I'm sorry. Oh, no worries. Under reactions. But last week, this isn't about distilling. It's about what you mentioned last week okay. about don't have to-do lists, just have a calendar. And I don't think we covered that necessarily, that piece of philosophy. Can we put that on the list to cover this week? To be clear, that it's not part of the, the second brain course. That's just Right, right. Yeah, that was one of your things. My, my personal take on organizing. For those who want the week two slides, it's here. There we go. Yeah, what about it? I'm not saying, I'm not saying like never have a to-do list. I'm just saying I think there's a level above to-do list that is scheduling it, putting it on the calendar. Because that's the only your calendar is the only thing, only to-do list that is has a guarantee of hundred percent completion. So if you don't book time with yourself then when are you prioritizing this? I don't actually know when I mentioned this. Did I mention it in the first week or second week? It was last week. It was the second week, yeah. Um, okay, I don't remember when I... So I have a... You I mentioned a, it in the beginning, but you didn't have a slide for it. And then we... Yes. You asked for questions at the end, but then I forgot. I, I wrote it down because... Yeah. yeah. So I should probably turn this into a blog post. It's basically this idea called time block planning that you sh whenever you you do something to do lists have basically have no constraints right like you can just add on bullet point after bullet point and then pretty soon you're just swamped with stuff so forcing yourself to not only place it on the calendar forces 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 yourself to estimate the amount of time that you're going to spend doing the task but then also prioritize it like what comes first and when you look at your calendar and everything's full up then you have to start saying no and that's I think a, a key part of uh, why a to-do list, you know, using your calendar as your to-do list uh, really helps. You don't have to finish everything. Let's say if like your time goes over, you can move stuff in your calendar around, but just blocking off time so you don't overcommit yourself in the future. Because like present day, like you today, it's very easy for you to promise your own future time because that's a different person. And then do that all the time. Yeah. And, then, and then when you get there, you just look back and you go, curse. What was I thinking? That's really it. That's my para for time. <laughs> yeah. In the context of this course, though, I found it really, I, it's been something I've been struggling with as I've been inputting projects and I start putting things with them. I'm like, ah, it becomes like this wave of overwhelm around how much I haven't. Sure. I guess it explains what's going on in my head, I guess, how much I have undone. <laughs> But yeah, it's a nice discipline. There, there are a lot the of other authors. Yeah, there are a lot of other authors that do this. 
Um, okay. it, helps, it helps you to focus as well. So like bigger chunks. And yeah, I, I recommend reading up more about it. I'm just getting into okay. it myself. That's why I think I probably didn't put a slide on it just because I'm still forming my thoughts on it. But okay. the more I explain it, the more I think about it, I'm like, this is the only way to have any sanity on. Can you place the Twitter thread in the, yes. in the chat? Thank you. But thank you for asking about it because yeah. it helps to reinforce that. Yeah, it's helping me with that dip effect because I've definitely been dipping and around different items around this this methodology yeah. but yeah okay thank you glenn and peter in the chat say that was a helpful question as well i think when you have a question a lot sometimes a lot of other people may have the same question so it's always helpful to just ask if, if it's on your mind especially because we're wow we're 50 people now so not that small group but uh, a lot of people tend to keep to themselves and I, I appreciate people who ask questions okay there was someone else with with a hand up it was bob barnard bob did i answer your question or no, I have a different one <clears throat> back on topic. So what's the, the difference between the process that Tiago talks about in the Zettelkasten idea of permanent notes and literary notes and all of that? Because they obviously seem different. I don't know what this, does anyone, so I, I'm not very familiar with the Zettelkasten method. I just have seen some blog posts about it. Does anyone have any thoughts on that? How does... Tiago's method comparable with Zettelkasten. This one, literature notes, bibliographical notes, permanent notes. I, I just haven't used this at all. So okay. I can't speak to it. But does anyone else have, have thoughts on Zettelkasten? Guy, have you come across it? <laughs> just, uh, just in blog posts, I don't use it either. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think it's all right. Like, the thing I'm about this- about Oh, sure. Who, who was that? Hey, Dave. The, the big difference, Zettelkasten is about creating small atomic blocks of content so the idea is instead of just progressively summarizing the idea is to take whatever you read and to eventually end up with something that is completely yours but it stands alone as a concept it's not just related to the book or article or whatever else you may have read what it means then is that instead of let's say writing a blog post or a book in in one go or in isolation you would piece it together from all of your zettles, from all of your small kind of atomic blocks. They can all come together then with outlines. And the idea is they're all interlinked to one another as well, complementary. And the more of these you get, the more they build and the more they help. And they're kind of, because each one is complementary, you begin to get that kind of library of your own unique content. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm actually reminded of, I've read, I have read this post. This was a very popular post on Zettelkasten. And taking an atomic box and linking it, I think that's why people really like Rome research so much, because it's really structured around the two-way linking of ideas. And yeah, it can look it can look pretty complex, but I like the the sentiment of it. I, I think they're I don't think they're different. I don't think they're uh, necessarily different because you could easily think, no think about this kind not. of thing. they're complementary exactly. Yeah, you could link. This. Well, I I progressively summarize first, and then. I do what's called um, HQ&A, um, which is highlight question and answer that Jamie Mills does. And then if the answer is suitable, I may turn that into a settle at the end. Yeah, there you go. I hope that was helpful, Bob, but great question. So there are a couple other comments in the chat. Uh, Ryan Levender says, it's largely tag-based. Para has more structure and is simpler. And David Schneider says, there's a strong connection between Zettelkasten's permanent notes and what Tiago calls intermediate packets part of next week's topic. So we'll talk about next week. I'm not sure it's still there actually. So he's been moving out, moving.
the content around. So <laughs> I'm not sure what's going to be covered next week. Okay. And then the, I think there's one more from TM. Okay. Ramses Oat. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that was about Zettelcast. And I think we have one more from, how do I call you? IP? IP? Sure. Uh, yeah, it's just IP. IP. Hey. All right. Hey, man. So I've got a question regarding time blocking. So I've been trying to time block for uh, quite some time now. And so there are certain things which I want to do uh, throughout my day regarding uh, like the projects I want to wor work on. And then I have to, I, I've got a day job. And so when I try to time block after my day job, I'm working on a company at the side. I've got a remote working company. So I need to manage that. So I need to time block stuff. But sometimes when I come back from work, like, the energy level is not there. So I need to move those time blocks to a different part of the day. So it's not consistent. Those time blocks, I continuously have to keep shuffling them around. So how would you re recommend? I Is there a, like a better approach to time blocking based on energy? Should I make my blocks based on uh, my mood, emotion? <laughs> or I don't know, it's just getting a little... Because they keep shifting. Sometimes I need to... Sure postpone and to discover the day. So I don't know. I think I'm still confused. Right. I think, so first of all, I think that's pretty normal that you move stuff around because we often don't have an estimate of how much time we're going to spend on something or how much energy yeah. we're going to have. So it, it's silly to try to pre-schedule everything. Just that's, that just means you think everything in advance. But yeah. also it's probably is a sign that you may be overcommitting yourself and not leaving any time to rest. Okay. So, so maybe you need to time block some just chill time, like rest. Chill time, yeah. And, and stop committing uh, so much to your day. And I, it's probably a muscle as well. So when you're getting into this and getting more into deep work, maybe you, you have the energy to, or, or the focus to, or the stamina to time block only for one hour a day. And then you, you yeah. build it up to two and then gradually you build it up to 10. I probably, and there's probably a limit to how much you can do beyond that because we all need some unstructured time. Absolutely. Currently, I've been using this app called Forest. I currently try to plant at least three, three trees in a day. So I, I try to get 25 minutes of a deep work session. Yeah. My sister used this one. Does that, does that, yeah. do actual trees get planted? It's just the app. It's just the app. It's like a digital forest. So you can keep track of how big your forest gets. So it's cute that way. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'll try to, I think, schedule more chill time into my routine. I think that might be it. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. We have a couple of comments as well. Dave Meyer. I like this one. Dave says, I time block based on roles, maker, manager, and master. What is master, Dave? Um, master is getting better at your craft. So uh, a maker is what you do for a job. So I, I design for a living. So I need to create, but I have responsibilities. So a master shouldn't have responsibilities. You need kind of room to experiment and to make mistakes and to not be uh, holding to deadlines and stuff like that. So I would even say things like when, when we're reading and taking a lot of notes and stuff like that, we're mastering some sort of craft as well. But it's good to distinguish those roles to say, I may want two hours to experiment, but it's okay if we don't produce anything out of it. Whereas the maker I have to produce something for somebody. I'm responsible to other people. That's a brilliant one. I've only heard of maker manager, but master is a new one. Did mm. you get that from somewhere? Yeah, I read a lot about maker manager. No, that's mine. Oh, wow. Well, hey, that's something that you should... Put a TM, Dave, at the end of it there. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I do TMs. I do ironic TMs. I love that. So uh, yeah. you're, uh, 
the shortcut is Alt two on the on the Mac keyboard. So I love TMing everything. Uh, day job TM. I love it. No, but seriously, when you come up with something like this and it's so useful because it, it's very clear that you need time to not be a maker or manager and you mm. call it a master and it's very clear. I like it. I think you should Well it, it's something I've wrote about before and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna publicly write more about it, but I <laughs> I'm still pulling that information into my second brand at the moment. Dennis wants you to NFT this. Dave, you need to immediately blog about this so you own it publicly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Done. Ne- next week. Make it it can be a it can be a very short thing. So for example, I have some there's someone pretty famous on Twitter who always talks about friend catchers. Catchers. And it's a pretty popular concept for him that the people that he likes to refer to a lot. I, yeah, I, don't, I, think, I don't think yeah, catcher, but he's never written about it. So I just I noticed it and it's it was after like three years of waiting for him to blog about it and he never did. So I did it. And I now own the <laughs> the top result for it. It's funny you say that because uh, until today I didn't have this in in my notes to blog about. So now I'm going to put it in because last week um, I mentioned panning for gold when it comes to um, actually distilling information and looking at it. And a lot of people said, oh, you have to write something about that. So that was last week's notes that I've started writing about panning for gold. But uh, maker, manager, master, I already have that. That's going to build into what I do. And I've already wrote some stuff about that. So it shouldn't be difficult. Yeah, yeah. And look, like I'm more than happy if anybody wants to connect outside this, I'm more than happy to share anything or answer any questions on it. Yeah, you want to put your uh, link to your contact details in the, in the chat? <laughs> Dennis says, we're building Dave's to-do list. Uh, this is great. I think that's something that when you're panning for gold, that it's help, helpful to have a sieve, sieve, sieve. Sometimes the filter is other people, right? Like people like us, all the same mindset. It's very helpful. Yeah, look, I think even with time blocking and stuff like that, I think what IP was saying about what frame of mind you are and what energy level you have. For me, that's good because if I had a heavy morning where a maker doesn't mean I just create, a maker means I can only focus on that one thing and that gets all of my energy. So it could be a meeting with somebody for two hours, but I'm drained after that. So I'll become a manager and a manager can juggle multiple things, not at once because that's impossible, but a manager can flip between stuff. So I can email, I can call people, I can send invoices and I can do lots of stuff that doesn't take a high level brain activity that I can stop and start. So it's really good for when you're drained afterwards. Perfect. What's the manager? Tell Joseph that's that's my daughter's birthday. Sorry. I've just I just seen a comment from Joseph there giving me a happy fifth birthday. Uh, yeah, that's your <laughs> nice nice background. Uh, I presume mm. that's your that's your kid. Okay. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So, or I'm some sort of Benjamin Button or something like that, maybe. So Yanni asked for some clarification. Thank you, Yanni. I'm, I'm sure you're not the only one trying to trying to clarify this idea. So maybe we just turn this into any uh, workshopping session. So for me, maker manager, maker versus manager is a very well-known concept. So let's actually Mm. wind back for people who haven't heard of it. Maker schedule, manager schedule. I think this is a pretty popular essay about this. So I'm just going to drop that in here where you have to basically do the thing, but then also spend time deciding what things to do. And those are two very different modes of operation. I think the innovation here is that the the master or whatever you choose to call it needs like, it's just basic R&D, like exploring things that you have no idea what could come Mm. out of. And, and that's also a, a key input into your future process. I like, I like too hard on ourselves, even in what we're doing with Second Brain. Everybody's obsessing about the details and how do you use this app and what database do you use and worrying about what's going to happen if it's not perfect instead of saying, I'm going to try this for a week and I'm going to try something else next week. And that's where that kind of master mindset could be helpful as well. They're going to be happy to discard stuff or to be happy to make mistakes as well. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Great. Yeah, Dave, if you want to leave some info on, I don't know, your blog or some contact details if people want to follow up, people are interested. Okay. Wow. That's great discussion. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to pause it for a bit and then give my own comments on this week's content. And then we'll come back to a second round of questions and discussion. Okay. I'm going to show you my notes for this week's lectures. So I, I take my lectures, I take my notes in Notion. I've got week one, two, and three here. And it's literally bullet points. Uh, I definitely think a lot in bullet points. If you think, if you look at the way that Tiago does his note-taking, that's very much like he takes the raw content because I think he uses Instapaper or Readwise. Um, I don't have that workflow. I literally skip the copy and paste part and I only do the bullet points. So each character here is written by me. I feel like that helps me internalize a little bit better. I don't know, but I have a bit more emphasis on bullet points. Like I'll, I'll try to bullet point everything because being able to see the visual structure helps me to collapse and expand upon things. One of the things that he talks about here is distilling by like the ways that you can enrich the original source content with tags, they created and modified bold title, original link and highlights. I think something he didn't talk about enough is bullet points. And that's why I want to make sure, uh, because visual structure, that's the easiest way uh, to give bullet point, to, to give a visual structure. And I think that's something that uh, maybe he doesn't do enough in, in his, his notes compared to what uh, my preference is. Mnemonics, it's always a hard word to spell, but giving yourself a way to remember things in the future by making some sort of acronym. Code is an acronym, right? C-O-D-E. We're in D of the four weeks of uh, CODE, but just giving yourself a way to, to remember that is, is super helpful. And then visualizing, it's something that if, especially if you have a more visual brain, or I think people with synesthesia actually do really well out of this, but when you hear about a concept, it's helpful to just draw what they just talked about. So here I listened to a podcast and then I drew it out. I drew what Adam Grant and Scott Barry Kaufman, I drew them, I drew the main functions of their disagreements. And when you visualize something that, that really sticks in the brain much better than a bunch of notes. To me, it's like a higher level than highlighting. So if you can do a two by two, or you can do a chart, uh, if you can do something I do a, a lot is like just categorize things, put them in order. It's one way to just condense a lot of information into a single image. And I, I think that's to me, that's the highest level of distilling, uh, which is to visualize something. So I think you, I have, an, I have a pretty ironic blog post, which is basically how to thought lead, which is just like a, a collection of all these ways to, <laughs> to distill things. Because it turns out that the best distillers are the thought leaders. Okay, these are just like extensions of what Tiago already said. Then I think the other thing that we should think about as well is when we produce, we should think about uh, producing in reverse. The way that we summarize things progressively from structuring out the paragraph to improving the title to, so these are all points that he said in his original lecture. So building the most important points and then highlighting. So these are like level five, level four, level three, level two, level one, and then top level. We should maybe do that in reverse. Actually, let me, I just, I like the image so much. This is the original image. She seems to have got rid of it because maybe it was too confusing or ugly or whatever. But I like this because it shows the landscape and it shows the personal knowledge management landscape and saying like your base level is notes, second level is bolding, third level is highlighting, fourth is summarizing and remixing by combining across different pieces. I think that's a really good idea. But maybe when we write, when we produce, we, we do it the opposite way. We start with the mini summary and then we expand it out and we expand the passages folder and then we have the full text of the blog post so i think that's food for thought in terms of what we can do when we uh, distill and, and reverse the the order that's definitely a lot of how i do things although i will tell you that there are there are 
Okay, 10 years of professional blogging. There are prominent people who tell you not to write the title first. So I definitely think about, I, I do title-driven development. So I'll think about the title and then I'll flesh it out. And if it's not a compelling title, I won't even work on it. But Andrew Chen, who is a very good blogger in, in and of itself. Oh, what happened to his site? Oh no, it's, that can't be right. Why is it down? Jesus. Okay, when it's back up, um, go read this, go read this post because he says you should write the whole post first and then decide on the title and come up with a few different options. So uh, this is definitely not a fact, but I, I definitely do, this is what I do. I, I decide on the title and do the bullet points. And then when, because you haven't written it, so let me show you my blog post ideas list. Literally, I'll decide on the title first, how to talk to your developer, second X syndrome, death to the API, and then I'll do bullet points. It's cheaper to reorganize my blog post when I see, okay, this doesn't work. I need to cut this here, uh, new chapter here, new section here, and then put it in here. It's much easier to reorganize when it's just been bullet points before you write the whole thing out. So I just want to give you some inspiration. Uh, thank you. So Glenn actually posted in the, in the Zoom chat an archive version. I don't know what happened to his site. Uh, I think he doesn't care anymore because he blogs his way to, to the top of Silicon Valley. Okay, finally, I wanted to give you this concept of this two-word distillation. I think the pinnacle of distilling an idea is to distill it into two words. So second brain is, to, is a two-word distillation of it sells itself. If you like one brain, how about two brains? Like it <laughs> sells itself. Atomic habits. Hey, you liked habits, but hey, the twist, my twist on, uh, on habits is that it should be atomic, right? And that's a bestseller. Same for candor and radical candor. It's got to be radical. That, that, that's what makes it stand out. Stand out. Seth Godin, purple cow. You can look at a sea of cows and it, it, it embeds the story. He, he can tell the story in a, in a five minute version or give a whole talk. But I do have this uh, explanation of the tour principle if you want to check it out, because I think it's a really key idea. That's what people really come away with after a, a whole lecture, a whole TED talk. They may just come away with two words. And if you can find the right two words, you can compress so much in there. So I have a list of digital nomad, indie hacker, open source, growth hacker. These are all just two word descriptions. And I think that if you can con condense an idea to that level and, and find something that you have a personal relationship with uh, that can really help to define your identity as well. So I, I really like it. I'll tell you my tour thing later. Oops, I just closed my own slides. Okay. All right. Keep going because I have 15 minutes left. Where am I? Where the hell am I? Okay. The contrast is so low here. Benjamin Paquet says the number of syllables matters too. Glenn says generalizing specialists. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. All right. So the second point I wanted to make, so that was my first point, distillation is creation. The second point is the importance of a forcing function. I feel like Tiago did not focus enough on how to force yourself to converge. We are, we're pretty sold on, okay, we re, we're going to revisit our notes a couple of times. We have some guidelines as to keep it glanceable and distill it when we have a use in mind, but how do we force ourselves to do it? Cause it's work, man. And a lot of it just doesn't get done. I think it's a, this is an important piece. I have three ideas. So first is time. When I look at a lot of professional, like high performing creators, they dedicate a fair amount of time to that, to their job. And these are like side jobs when they start out. So I'm talking Tim Urban from Wait But Why, James Clare when he started out, Ali Abdal, who's another mentor here. But like when he started out, he was just a student and then he did his YouTube thing on the side. And pretty consistently, all of them do two hours a day or 10 hours a week, which is weekends. That may, not, that may be very high for you, especially if you have a family, but some amount of dedicated time set aside to create, to converge, to say, okay, enough with the adding of notes. Let's turn the notes into something useful. That is pretty important, I think. So really just make the time commitment. And I think another phrase that really 
resonates with me is that we don't find time, we make time. So it's up to us. Like, like it, it's very easy to let 10 years go by and not prioritize and just end up with a pile of notes that you never use. So we have to make the time. Okay. Second piece, which I like, is also that some amount of consistency. The developers in the room probably have heard of 100 days of code. And that's something where you just commit publicly to posting or learning about how to code for a hundred days. And people do two, three rounds of this thing. Uh, so that's pretty, that's pretty nice. Another one that's gotten quite some steam recently is ship 30 for 30, which is a writing group lets you break the ice by shipping a small essay every single day for 30 days, some amount of commitment. For me, what I really like is a weekly newsletter. I love seeing updates from people because it's essentially your personal board of directors that you're saying like, okay, out of this week that I've just lived, out of the limited weeks I have left, this is what I've done. And here's my personal update. And you hold yourself accountable to that. I think that's a really great way to say, to structure everything that happens outside of then writing a newsletter towards, okay, how is this going to show up in my weekly update? Podcasting is also a really good one. I think that just the, the regular cadence of, hey, let's get together and talk about news, talk about uh, a topic of the week. I just think it, it just builds up over time. And it's, this consistency really helps of, hey, I, it's that time of the day again, that time of the week again. I got to make something, force yourself to do it. Finally, social pressure. If doing things alone, it's easy to just drop it because you think nobody knows this is. But uh, if people are expecting you to ship and you see other people shipping as well, then you have to ship as well. So uh, circle Twitter, Discord, Mastermind. Now, these, these are not com uncommon. I have, I do run my own for developers, but this group is uh, Mastermind or a Discord or a circle, or I don't know. But you may have like your own group chat. There's a Telegram chat. This is one for makers, if, if anyone's interested. Um, this started as a Telegram group, and now you can just post updates on like, what you're shipping. And these are all the hot streaks that people have of like continuous 888 days of shipping something. Like that's just super motivating to me. Like I know you'll be a success if you just keep at it. It's, it's the people that give up that, <laughs> that don't go anywhere. So having a forcing function, just however way you do this, I'm sure there's more categories you can think of. Just think about it. Okay, there's some questions in the chat. Arib Sham says, uh, question, two hours a day includes weekends? No, actually. So those people who, who do two hours a day, it's actually weekdays before work. Because if you do it after work, you're more likely to not do it. So if you were serious about this, two hours a day before work, that's where I've seen a lot of successful side hustles. And let me be concrete. Alex West. Okay, so this guy, he's now he's now quit to go full-time, but he for, for like three years, probably three years, he was doing two hours a day before, two hours, yeah, two hours a day before work. And he's like, these are all his monthly revenue updates. And I, I just, the more I talk to people with dedicated successful side hustles, that's the amount of time commitment it takes to produce something. Obviously, two hours is a lot. Like, I, I'm not saying this is for everyone. I'm just saying this is a pretty consistent number. And when patterns like that emerge from creators, let's talk about Tim Urban. When he talks about his own journey and creating Weep But Why, he also talks about, and you can see these numbers emerge again and again and again. He also did it on a, on a somewhat regular basis of two hours a day. And it's just like a really recurring pattern. There's nothing special about the two hours. I, I just think that people converge there because that's the trade-off of, okay, amount of time spent to create something substantial, but then I have other things in my life that I need to go do. So take of it what you will. Okay. Then one more question from IP. I always wanted to wake up early for my deep work sessions, 6.30 a.m. shifts and waking up at 5 a.m. Forcing functions really helping. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Basically, I just want you to, to know that like this, these notes don't just happen from just because you feel, because just because Tiago says so, like you need some kind of commitment to make them happen. <laughs> I probably beat the dead horse already. Okay, a couple final points. This is my three strikes rule. So one way to get you to move that diamond from all the way to the right, all the way to the left. So we're talking about this, where you're spending a lot of time diverging and researching and reading and note-taking. 
and not really converging enough. So how do you move yourself from right all the way to left? How do you move this trade-off point where you stop diverging and start converging? For me, I've, this is as left as I will let myself do it. So the first strike is when you first heard about an idea, first read an article, first uh, listened to a podcast. The second strike is when you recommend it to someone else, right? Because then you have to put it in your own words and summarize it to other persons because you're not going to re repeat verb verbatim. Like you're going to actually try to re uh, explain the article and you're probably going to get it wrong. The emphasis for this, for me, was I read this really good blog post, right? Four kinds of luck. And this is this will probably happen to you as well. So I read this article from Mark and Jason, and they said, okay, blah, blah, blah. All right. <laughs> so this is the whole blog post. And it's not very well summarized, right? Because so four kinds are chance one is blah, blah, blah. Chance two, blah, blah, blah. Chance three, blah, blah, blah. Chance four, blah, blah, blah. All right. So I was trying, I read this blog post, was very inspired by it. And I was trying to tell a friend and I could not remember what two of the four were. So that was strike two for me. And strike three was when I had to reference it again. And I was like, okay, time is time has gone well past when like I need to write it down. So I, I started to write it down and blog about it. So that's how, uh, and because I do the, the visualization thing, I made the two by two. And that's, that's a, anytime you see like a, a rule of four, you make a two by two and you're like, okay, no, I have it in my mind now. Or you can do a little bit more if you want. So I just want to bring home that, that idea that having some sort of three strikes rule, some trigger where you don't give yourself a choice of, okay, time to stop diverging. And I have this backlog of things I need to write down now and make and set it as, as far left as possible. I think that, that makes a lot of sense. Cool. Uh, thanks, Peter. Okay. And then finally, I think this idea of learning public is something I'm very well known for. It's my top read essay. I highly recommend it. And this is where we start learning in public with our second brain. When we start distilling things for others to consume, it's, it feeds that feedback cycle, right? Because when uh, the first time we summarize something, when we share it, we're going to get feedback on it. And it set, that loads the trigger for the next time when, we, when we're going back and summarizing it again. I think this is a very fundamental feedback loop that everyone needs to have in their lives. And there are many ways to, to get this done. I'm happy to talk about it more. But yeah, that's my reflection on, on the distilling idea that we need to have, we need to think about how we distill as for creation. We need to have a forcing function. We, we, I like the three strikes rule and I like learning in public. So yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it there because we're almost out of time. We have five minutes left. Uh, does anyone have a question that they want us to follow up? Oh, Peter Brace wants the, the link to uh, the conf. Then there we go. That's Peter. And you can, and Peter, you can find a link to that podcast as well. But like now I don't, don't need to listen to the podcast because this is essentially what they mapped out in their, in their one hour. Thanks, Yanni. Okay. So yeah, who's got questions or discussions that they want to talk about? Or you can email me. Maybe I'll call upon Guy because Guy, you're also a mentor. What do you think you cover, was covered in Distilled that really resonated with you? Or what do you normally cover in your sessions? I actually go into the nuts and bolts of, of how to do this in Notion specifically, which you didn't cover today, but I think that's fantastic because frankly, I took awesome notes from your presentation today, which was great. I think the key emphasis from the lecture is that when that it's really hard to do, but when you distill something down, you make it better. And it, there's constant resistance to this, at least in my line of work in, in foreign policy. We, we come across volumes of information and we think that there's every little bit of nugget of, of information is useful and could make a difference in a life and death scenario. But in truth, if no one's gonna read it, it doesn't matter. And the only way you make it readable is if you compress it. And I think that's what resonated from this week's lecture for me. And you've hit on it very well as well here. So I, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Do you want to, so there's some people who wanted to attend your sessions, but they're at the wrong time zone. Do you actually want to 
briefly show your notion just to give a quick hit? Yes, I'm not, it's not really ready for prime time. If you don't, <laughs> if folks don't mind that I'm gonna like, I could show them around my, it's like letting someone into your bedroom in the middle of a party before you've cleaned it up. It's more realistic it, it, Sure, let me just see where I am here. Actually, it's good because I can preview uh, just for how much time you want, you want me to go for it? Two, three uh, minutes? Yeah, yeah, five minutes, 15 minutes. You know, we're, we're, at, we're already at time. I, have, I typically go over another 30 minutes for people who can stick around. Um, so we can talk about stuff. Cool. Yeah. 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 I love it because now you get two mentors for the person one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your approach is so analytical, so interesting. You put so much stuff out there in public, which I cannot do because of my line of work. So I admire yeah. it. So for me, my, my notion setup is designed to do the things that I can do best, which is internal. And I use my, I use the concepts of building a second brain to focus on my journaling and on my habits and on driving personal change, because that puts me in the right frame of mind to, to focus on my work, which has to be very private and very segmented in a way. Basically, I, I summarize, progressively summarize my journals and entries, which I do daily. I combine them with a habit tracker. So what folks are seeing here is just the, the common view that I have every day when I open it up. And I think the innovation that I've used for Notion uh, which is something not something I made up, but Marie Poulin does this in her setup, is she rolls stuff up into higher level databases. So for example, this is the journal entry that's already pre-cooked for uh, May 24th for tomorrow. Uh, nothing is in it yet. I'll input this uh, tomorrow. I do it in the morning and I look backwards for what happened in the previous day. I track all the habits that I want to track, such as um, whether I stretched, did I move, did I meditate, did I connect with someone? I track health indicators. Am I sleeping? Do I have any, am I taking any medication? If I stretched, I link to databases that document the stretch. I tag the day with a master tags database to, so I can see themes that emerge. I, I like to capture food that I eat, restaurants that I go to, anything that I watched so that I can refer to it later. I type in what happened today. I give myself a 20 minute timer to do so. Otherwise I could go for hours probably. And then I go through a series of startup tasks. After I do this for an entire uh, week, I have a weekly review and the weekly review, I can show you the one that I just did. I do them on Sundays and I use, I roll up the information from the prior week. So for example, every day I put in a daily, three daily themes. And then I force myself to distill those themes, these themes from the entire week into just three words that represent the entire week. And this is my choice. So this is my perspective. Notion just feeds me the raw data and I choose. Same for, what's an example here? Things that I put that I need to improve on, I then force myself to distill that into whatever I've perceived to be the issue for that week. I do the same thing for the good things that happen. I ask myself a series of questions, which roll up later, I'll show you. And then I also roll up those health features that I showed earlier. So oh that's a sample. This is amazing. And then just very quickly, the I can go into a monthly view, which rolls up the data from the weekly reviews. Again, the exact same thing. I do this at the end of the month. Here's the top words. And then from the from each weekly review, I choose three. Again, what did I learn? And then I wrote down my monthly knowledge. What was I effective? So on and so forth. Here's the entire week's happy highs or happy moments. And then I summarize it down, distill it down to the monthly wins. 
And then zooming out even further, you guys are getting the picture, I think. On the quarterly review, I like to put in a photo. I choose one photo from the quarter. That means a lot to me. That's me with my niece. Again, just showing the three words. Those are the monthly words. Again, I've summarized down to three words. Same thing. I keep distilling down and then I get all the way to the year. And I've only done one of these because uh, I only started doing this a year ago, but in December and January, I did a, a yearly review, which actually was really fun because I, all I did was distill the information that I had from my three quarters. Here's my 12 words for the entire year. And those were my three words for the entire year. And I, eventually I'll get a decade. I'm pretty sure that's a, a preview. And if you guys go to the circle group in the advanced notion group, and also the beginner notion group, I put in a link to my dashboard. And if you like, I have a shareable template that I call a mindfulness engine that just uh, reproduces what I showed. So feel free to, to copy, paste, and enjoy. Yeah, share it with us. And I think that's so generous and that's amazing. Part of why- Let me put in the link. Yeah, I, I actually was very afraid to be put in the advanced category because I'm not an advanced Notion user at all. <laughs> and I look at your setup, I'm like, okay, yep, that's an advanced Notion setup. I had the I had the exact same thought about your setup, even though I didn't see it. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is an advanced setup. I have so much to learn. <laughs> my, my, only claim, my only claim to fame is I made a book out of my BF course. <laughs> that's impressive. And the book that's has sold, uh, sold six figures. So that's, I think people want to different elements. I'm really enjoy. I'm really glad I asked you this. I had no plans, but, and then thank you for stepping up. That was awesome. IP has a follow-up question. How long do these things take? Because they probably take a while. It takes a while. And uh, Tiago in his course on habit formation talks about how the goal as you work through your habits is to tighten the loop. You have to make it so that the habits that you have, instead of adding more and more habits, once you learn how to build a habit, that's easy. The hard part is tightening it. How do you make it faster? And uh, that's why I have to give myself a timer. Otherwise I lose track of time and I could go on forever. So it takes me about, right now it's about 20 to 30 minutes a day. I don't have a job that requires an early start like IP. <laughs> so I, I have that luxury, but as soon I will, I'll have a very early start. And so I'm gonna have to figure out a way to get it down to probably five or 10 minutes which makes me a little nervous, but that's the challenge. Yeah, that, that's amazing. For those people who might, might have missed the chat, he actually dropped his template in the Zoom chat. So make sure to check that out. And I'm also pasting it inside of the presentation so people can catch up on it. But this is really great. Wow. What what about note-taking though? So you have a lot of reflection stuff. Do you, uh, do you also use Notion for note-taking? I, I do, and I'm still refining it. I took uh, building a second brain the first time at the same time you did. So it's, uh, I believe you took it a year ago. So it's, yeah. uh, it's about, it's very new to me. I didn't take any notes before in my life. It's a very new concept. <laughs> so for me, I use, where did it go? Oh, it's down here. I have a notes database. And when I want to find a note or to create a project, I go into this space I call my neocortex. And I, I drag and drop interesting notes. And I'm still learning to deal with it, but I could, for example, search by a specific para. So in my Notion mentor session last week, I showed how you would create a project for hosting a food extravaganza by dragging notes on that topic. When I summarize a note, I add a tag to it as an example. That's a good example. Here's a food one. So I track the, if I drink something that's good, favorite alcohol, I'll keep a database, a running list of beers or wines or things that are cool. If I'm at a restaurant and 
I give this a, a progressive summarization level. So this one's pretty high up because I made my own. This is my own unique perspective on alcohol. No one else has it. So it's my own remixed work. But when I clip something, I maybe it's just the key excerpts. As I bold it, I'll give it this, uh, a bolded key points. And then what I can do is filter for notes that have that level two and above that are that either have a highlight and above. So it's it's a more limited number of notes. I also put in the notion for each note, a summary, if I if it resonates with me. This is from building a second brain. I, I took a note on how to, from the circle group, how to measure success in areas. Here's the actual note that I copied and pasted, but I bolded things that appeal to me. And then I put in my own, my word summary. And that gives it extra oomph when I search for stuff with that summary, because not every note has it. And I even give it a score, which is using a, a notion formula that basically it, it gives it points for whether there's a takeaway, uh, whether I've set a review frequency for it, and whether I've given it a trophy, which means it's it's really cool. So if, if all those three things are checked, then it gets a, a 10, which is a high score. And I can even filter for those. I don't know if I filtered for scores in the neocortex. Yes, I did. So these are high scores. Notes with high scores, every single note with a high score. I think the filter is set for more than six. I guess it's not working right now, but eventually if I went in there and fixed it, that's what it would do. So yes, that's why I'm still working on it. It's not, I'm not able to produce as easily as you can for public use. And so that's where I, I struggle at the moment. You can, you don't have to produce about your work stuff. There are definitely other areas of your life, like the alcohol, no taking <laughs> Yes, now everyone thinks I'm an alcoholic. But no, there are definitely elements of your life where, which are not national security related. So I think that part is okay. But no, that's, this is really awesome. Yeah, I, I worry a bit about being too tied into Notion, which is why I tend to keep my, my things relatively lo-fi. But... It's so nice to see your weekly and monthly collections that that makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah, great. Document your decade. Okay, interesting. Yeah, there, there are a bunch of like the people the, the people blowing up in the chat. Uh, I feel like this is a really good ad. Uh, people should go check out your, your session. When when is this when are your sessions? And, uh, and just join your, your group. It is two in the morning Eastern time on Mondays. Oh, sorry, on Tuesday. Yeah. Sorry for the late hours <laughs> for those of you who are sleeping. It's great for those folks in the India, Pacific Ocean, Asia area. Okay, got it. But yeah, people can catch up on, on Circle, I guess. Yes, feel free to talk to me on Circle. I haven't recorded anything yet. I'll, I plan to start since I've had quite a few people ask. Yeah, I think I think that this piece was really great. Okay, we have we have about 15 more minutes. Uh, people, if you want to go, we're, we're already over time. So thank you for coming. Uh, we'll see you next week on week four. But I usually stay to answer questions. Guy, if you have stuff to do on the weekend, Thank you so much. You've, you've already, I should have asked you to join in way, way earlier, <laughs> but thank you so Thanks much. Thanks for inviting me to present. It was a lot of fun. I'll stick around. I'm still okay. learning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If anyone else has other topics they want to talk about, uh, now it's the open bar session. I'll tell you, I'll tell you my, my, I definitely feel like more unstructured and I feel like the habit of keeping to a regular publishing schedule, like once a week, a uh, newsletter plus like daily audio clips podcast that I do that just keeps me full already I, I feel like everything else emanates from there all, all the note-taking that I do because I always have an outcome that I want in mind uh, and I have a mental timer of okay if this thing ages too much then I either have to get rid of it or I just have to ship what I have today that's it like I, I know I, I'm, I'm not happy with it it's not my best work but I'm shipping it and sometimes people like that so I've just I've just done that
So John Harquist says, I like how Tiago shows how he uses Evernote for all his internal stuff that moves things into Notion when he wants to share. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So have a public side and a, a private side. I think that makes a lot of sense because, and sometimes you want to air gap it by different apps. So my journal was in OneNote where no, no one else uses and it's a password on it. I think OneNote has the best password solution that I tried. I'm not sure how other apps lock it up. I don't think Notion even does a password on, yeah. So I, I recommend for journals, at least to, to put it in OneNote. Dave Meyer says, I struggle with outlining going from small standalone ideas to a fully formed publication, like an article. Dave, I don't know if you were here, were you here last week? So I gave a little- No, I don't think so. Okay. So I, the people who were here last week, I gave a little screen share into how I wrote the book. So I wrote it in GitHub because I'm a nerd like that. And when I wrote the book, I essentially planned out my structure. I planned out the ideas that I had. These are all black bullet points. I should probably turn this into a theme. Okay. Sorry. I know people like just prefer light mode. I, when, when I wrote the book, I, I wrote all these chapters and then these are all black originally. And then I turned them blue into links of the actual final products. And then each of them, each I, of them. I would find the chapters okay. Sorry. It's, it's the, I would find outlining chapters and stuff like that. Okay. It's the individual chapter itself then yeah. of that kind of content, that kind of intro hook. Yeah. Get all the body in there. Let me show you. So this is, these are all just like literal brainstorm of everything that every point that I wanted to make. And then when I took this and then used this as my starting point for writing the essay, which I knocked out in probably like three, four hours. I don't know if this helps or not, but it literally is a bunch of topics. Right. And I don't necessarily know the end point that I want to get to. I just know things that are interesting to talk about and I just list them out. And part of the writing process is rearranging them into some kind of order and sequence that makes sense. And then the final output, uh, you, you don't see you don't see a lot of the final output, but let, let me show you the correspondence. I don't think it's I don't think it's very high. So here's the draft, and then here's the final output. So <laughs> I would say I had a section called dealing with the mob, and I thought that mob might not be PC, so I said <laughs> dealing with haters, and literally like four bullet points like that would be three four pages like that, and just having some amount of separation between deciding what you're going to write about and then actually sitting down to write the thing. I think that's very helpful. I can see that there's a lack of perfectionism there, which is, I think, I think that's the issue I have there. Yeah. yeah. Um, literally like a lot of my writing, I actually often say that I do it while running when I was writing. So I wrote for 600 hours every day before I would write, I would go for a run and during the run, my mm. brain would still be active. So yeah. uh, I, I would just be like organizing things in my brain. And when I thought of something, I would actually just get on my phone and rearrange and add point, bullet points to, to this. Would, would you review anything before a run so that it's front and center of your mind? No. Or was this already the main focus of what you were working on? No, it, I would just be working on like three or four different topics simultaneously. I had all these in my Kanban board. And yeah, I, was, I, would, I would have, I think I had an up next section that had three or four uh, chapters. And then some which, some which were just an idea stage, which I think I seem to have got rid of it. But yeah, then I'll just be working on these and I'll move them over to the complete section. And then I'll, I'll promote other things to, to the writing section. Uh, and I'll just be working on four or five of them simultaneously. But my book had 40 chapters. There's a lot of content just everywhere. And then there's some I just threw away as well. I don't know. It's a messy process. Embrace it. And I think the organizing structure of chapters is really helpful because that's a self-contained unit. It, it gets tricky when chapters interlink which I also did. And, and that's a path that I, I think you best, it's, I recommend doing after you've finished the book. Yeah. Yeah, that's the book writing process. I don't know if it helps. 
Thanks. Definitely some community helps as well. And also writing in public, right? For those planning to write a book or, or to sell their writing in, in any way, having some kind of focus group, which is either Twitter for, Twitter for me or like some kind of Discord chat or whatever other peer group that you want. And like sharing drafts as you go along to get feedback is very important. For me, like I actually used it as marketing. I knew some topics would do very well. So I released chapters for free and got them to sign up or just buy the presale copy. And I highly recommend doing that because then you have the people pay you for the privilege of getting updates on your book as you go along. So that when you launch, you have a preset base to spread word of mouth because they'll probably be happy with the updates as long as you do update stuff. It's, you can also think of it as it like, puts more pressure on you to deliver as well. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I, I have I, I have a post on this called why you should pre-sell. So I do have a strong opinion on this. The downside, the only downside is that there, there are two downsides. One is that your most ardent fans are the most are the ones that are most likely to, to buy from you pre-sale. So you're making less money from the people who like you the most. And then the other one is that you may commit yourself to a timetable of which you may need to back out of. So you, you need to be ready to refund everybody if you can't meet your commitments. But yeah, otherwise, I think the most important thing that you can have for anything that you do is word of mouth. And if you can get paid to build word of mouth, then that's a slam dunk. So can I ask you a question? Yes, sir. I'm going to take advantage of the time to ask. I don't know if others are experiencing this particular issue, but let's presuppose that before you could publish or learn in public, you had to get every piece of writing cleared through some committee, through some process that took anywhere from two days to a month. Uh, how would that impact how you shared in public and how you would advise people here to share in public, not only process-wise, but also what do you think that would change the nature of the content you're sharing and how you're learning in public? Oh, definitely. It definitely would change it. I definitely don't love the process, but it has to be done for some publications. So I've been published in some major sites and I've had uh, blog posts written at work where uh, it sat in a review process for like two, three weeks. And it really bothers me. I'm the kind of guy, I want to write it and fire it out uh, and then react to feedback. But a lot of other publications are more conservative. They want a, review, a proper review process, which is probably a good idea. But yeah, it, it really takes up mental space. Of, uh, I've written this thing and it's not out yet. So I can't move on to the next thing because it's not out yet. And it, it's silly. Like I, it, really the right approach is to just say like, okay, it's done, it's written. I don't know when it comes out. It'll come out when it comes out and I should move on to the next thing. So the more you can dissociate yourself from just like the, the, what's the, the publication schedule and just fo focus on the writing schedule, I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Thanks. That's great advice. So no, I, I actually have, done, I do that at work. We do, we do have a review, review process and it sucks and, and you have to be more careful what you say, because I also find that th this is the other thing. When people edit, they generally tend to nitpick. They don't really give substantive like they're not collaborators so much as just hey your grammar is wrong let me change the title a little bit and that's just the nature of things people are not trained to be good editors if you just take a regular coworker and like hey like can you look at look over my piece they're not trained to, to be good editors uh either find someone who's actually adding value as an editor like pointing out ways you could restructure the, the whole thing or uh, restate or that you just like factually had wrong i think those are the highest value edits and if it's like editing spacing or like adding a comma, I don't care. No, no reader cares. Are you entertaining? Are you informative? Yeah, there's, 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 there's a lot of uh, writing advice out there, but I definitely subscribe to the idea that it's not about like factual accuracy. The factual accuracy is like kind of like the baseline, but like 
people read stuff that entertains them and informs in some useful way that's relevant to them. I find that editors don't generally think about these dimensions because their skin is not in the game. Their name is not on the byline. And I've had like really bad disagreements with people I work with over edit suggestions that I just said no to. And they were like, what, why are you not, why are you not a team player? I'm like, my name is on this piece and I don't like the way you're taking this. So I don't know. You just have to be comfortable with that. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I think have an outlet. <laughs> if like things don't go well and like you have to kill a piece, then just do it in another way. Like book a podcast and just talk it out, talk out your feelings. That's fine. Like Ken Rice says pigs and chickens. I don't know what that means. Is there a story behind that, Ken? Real quick, Swix. It, the, the story behind pigs and chickens is that pigs get made into bacon and chickens just lay eggs. It's just another metaphor for having the skin in the game. It's sometimes used in agile communities. So anyone can Google it. I won't go into depth on it. I think you distilled the concept very well. Yeah. I just, I have thoughts about venue as well. So count, so there, there are two opposing views. One is that you should build your own platform, right? That's the only thing that's going to stick with you the rest of your life. If you're beholden to anyone else, you're publishing on their platform, you're borrowing their audience, and they're not really finding you or, or stay, sticking with you. Uh, that's one perspective. The other perspective is Cal Newport's perspective, where going through the editing process uh, that, that has that's competitive, that has a chance of getting rejected, that forces you towards higher quality writing because you have something to lose. So some probably the right answer is somewhere in between. I think that when you start out, it makes sense actually to try to work with editors to get some sense of what professional writing can be and then also to get published so that people know of your name and find you and then as you progress in your own journey to eventually locate everything on your own property so that people can just find you directly um, and you have a direct relationship with them so that's something that tim urban also said in his interview he originally started only sharing only writing for facebook and then people found him and then signed up for his newsletter and then he could pivot and stop writing clickbaity facebook headlines i think that's a that's a wise approach basically pig and chicken the chicken is involved. The pig is committed. That's excellent. All right, I'm gonna put. I'm gonna stick that in into my own uh, notes. That's great. All right, cool. Our hour and a half is up. We do have a session coming on after after us. Uh, but thank you everyone for this. I thought it was a really great session. So much surprising. I'm just blown away by this. I I wasn't sure what I was signing up for when I did the mentor session, but going through this with you guys is is it's really rewarding for me as well. So thank you for for joining us, and I'll see you next week. Thanks, thank Tom. you, Ruben. Everyone.